Welcome to our Bible Institute. Um, I know I say this often when we get together, but you never know who's new, who's watching online. We now have 693 students in our Bible Institute. We have a Bible Institute that offers 110 courses online. It's all free. You can earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree if you'd like, or you can just take courses and, and just have you know, a learning experience. You can come here. We are working through them at a much slower pace, but I certainly think you will learn and it will benefit you. So uh, anytime you want to go to our Bible Institute, it's online, bibleinstitute.org. We'll get you there. And a lot of people have found their way to it. So it's kind of fun to watch that happen on our journey together. All right. So we are working through the New Testament right now. This is a New Testament survey course. And um, a survey basically just kind of takes pieces of the uh, New Testament and we will look at certain hot topics and things that are going on. It's not an exhaustive course. It's a survey. So we'll touch on certain things. We got into the Gospel of John last week. And I said, in effect, that, that the, John's primary purpose for writing his gospel was that the readers would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that's at the heart of the entire um, gospel. The gospel of John's a fascinating gospel. They're all really good. I always say that. It's my favorite. They're all my favorite. It just depends what I'm reading at that moment. But we're going to continue on now and press into the beginning. We, we launched into some of the intro last week, but we're going to pick it up uh, today in John 1, 4 and 5, so we're still in the very beginning. Uh, and the scripture says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And what John is talking about there when he references darkness, that's existence without Jesus. That's the darkness. Uh, and so prior to knowing Jesus, we all lived in darkness. That's, that's how that, that works. So uh, Jesus is, is the light, and he brings us out of the ones, uh, the kingdom of darkness. We, in Christ, we come into the kingdom of light. But when you read John, and he's talking about darkness, it's talking about existence without Jesus. We're also going to define quite a few terms in this first chapter that will help you through your reading of the rest of the gospel. So let's look now in a Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And so we need to talk about a minute, children of God, what it means to be a child of God. And... Um, there's a lot of sort of cultural ideas that have slipped into this thing, and you hear them all the time, and I always want to address them kindly and lovingly, but there's a difference. See, so, so the Bible is clear that all people are God's creation. If you want to look at verse in that, Colossians 1.16, and, and we also know from John 3.16 that God loves the entire world. Most of you know that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So... We, we have a God, and, and so all people are created by God, and God loves the world, but only those who come to faith in Christ are considered to be the children of God. That's the process to be adopted into His family. You say, how did that happen? Because His creation was rebellious and sinned, and we're separated from God, and that separation put us in darkness, and we had some big issues there. And, and so... Oftentimes people want to say, and I get it and I understand it, well, we're all God's children, but we're, all, we're actually all God's creation, which is cool. Don't get me wrong. That's very cool. 
And, and he loves the world, and so that's very important that you get all those things. But uh, that verse tells us very, that, that he made a way for us to become the children of God, and the way he did that was at the cross, and that's what John is introducing here so that we don't understand it. Because if we're, if we're all children of God already, then we don't, there's no issue. None of this would have needed to happen. Um, it, it would have been resolved in other ways, but it wasn't. We chose, as God's creation, to choose sin, and that separated us from God, and, and so we, we were off in our own. And, and, and yet the rewards of being a child of God are immeasurable, both now and forever. We're, we're a part of His family, and He introduces us, the, the New Testament introduces us as the family of God, as the church. Um, we're promised a home in heaven. We're given the right to approach God in prayer as Father throughout the Scripture. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to be a child of God. There's, there's nothing that compares with it. There's nothing even you know, remote to that amazing gift that He gives us in Christ. And John is making that known. Now he goes on. With that, he's still kind of in that theme now about what that looks like, verses 14 through 18. And here there's a lot of terms that we're going to take some time today, probably most of the day, to try and define. The word... We looked at that last week, Logos, but it's talking about Jesus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him, and he cries out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. So, there's a lot of terminology going in there that we need to talk about and and sort of grasp in this walk. So, it, it says, the Word became flesh. And what's being described there is the incarnation. And, and that's a term that, that is used to indicate that Jesus, the Son of God, took on actual human flesh. Some of the uh, heresies that the church, early church was dealing with was the idea that, um, that, that the, the, their interactions that they had with Jesus, He was always spirit. There, there was, he was never flesh, and, and that's not true. Uh, and, and so John has to make the point that what John's point is that He was fully God, and He was also fully man. And that's what happens. The, the Word became flesh. Jesus has always existed with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But He took on flesh some 2,000 years ago, at the, and, and that's the incarnation. We know that He came in a miraculous way, and He, he was born in a miraculous way. He didn't just appear. Um, all of that was so that he could understand this life and live this life with us so that when the time would come, he would exchange that life for ours. So that word incarnation actually means the act of being made flesh. And so the word became flesh, it says, and made his dwelling among us. Um, lots of support biblically for this hum- human side of Jesus, um, I- including that he needed sleep, so he slept. Uh, he needed to eat. There's food involved in lots of verses, um, physical protection, uh, other indications of his uh, humanity. Um, he uh, he perspired. <laughs> he bled. He also had motions. He including joy, sorrow, anger, even. Uh, 
uh, during his life, Jesus referred to himself, and we'll see that later on in John 8, as, as a man. And um, even after his uh, resurrection, his humanity was still recognized. You can look in Acts 2.22. So Jesus was fully man, fully God. That's a concept that we have to grasp. So, uh, so the purpose of the incarnation... Um, this happened so that he could become the savior of mankind. You had this separation that I keep talking about where the creation, us, rebelled and went our own way and there had to be a way back. He made a way back. And so um, Jesus came and so like all of us then, he would have been born under the law but since we've uh, we've all failed to fulfill the law, Christ came in the flesh under the law to fulfill the law on our behalf. That's what Jesus does. And, and that's pointed out to us throughout um, the New Testament. And he also needed to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. When we get to Hebrews, we'll read more about that. Uh, and so a blood sacrifice required a, a body of flesh and blood. And so um, this was God's plan for the incarnation. Christ came into the world, uh, and, and uh, he, he, uh, he links what he's doing into Hebrews 10, and says that this had to take place. There had to be uh, um, an actual body that was actually live, actually real, in order for the sacrifice to be one that would take on our behalf. And so this was a huge deal, him coming like this, providing us a salvation that we don't deserve. And and that's an amazing thing. So whenever you read that, the word became flesh, it it ought to just kind of make you stop and think uh, of what that means and that in that we're redeemed. In 1 Peter 1.19, it says, um, we're now redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So huge stuff that's happening here. The incarnation is a huge deal, and it's uh, part of the process that made it possible for us to be reconciled to God and so become the children of God. He mentions glory. Glory is an interesting word. Most of us have heard glory, and we think of the... But it's kind of hard to define... Um, so the glory of God is it's the beauty of His Spirit. It's, it's, uh, it's not an aesthetic beauty or a material beauty, but it's the beauty that emanates from His character, from all that He is. And His glory is evident in, in creation, including us. Uh, and, and so uh, it, it's amazing. The, the things that will catch you uh, and, you know, and you, you're just aware of the magnificence of God. It's, the, it's His glory. Sometimes, you know, you can, you can look at a, a sunset or a sunrise or something else that you just, and you know that that's God in it. It could be the, in the stars at night or whatever, but you, you get a sense of the, the, uh, the amazingness of God. Um, sometimes it can be as simple as, you know, opposable thumbs or uh, how our eyes work. Um, you know, have you ever thought about how your eye... What's going on with your eyes and how they're inverting images through the back of your brain and seeing things that looks right to us, but it's doing all this amazing stuff, and you, you, you know, it's, it's an amazing deal. Creation is an amazing deal. How God made it all work, amazing deal. Uh, you know, we get scuts and scratches and stuff, and they heal. They grow. You know, it's amazing, right? It's fascinating how God did that. So those, I, I think in those things when we're looking, all of those things, we can see the glory of God. Talks about grace in that passage that we read. Grace is a constant theme in the Bible, uh, and 
It really culminates in this, that, that passage in John 1.17 when, with the coming of Jesus. Uh, and um, it comes from the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, which means favor, blessing, or kindness. And that when, it, when we're talking about the grace of God, it's, it's choosing to bless us rather than sort of give us what we really deserve, which is not good, what our sin deserves. And, and so um, in Ephesians 2.8, we've, we've looked at this many times. It says, for by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. So, so the only way that any of us can enter into relationship with God is because, is because of His grace towards us. And we see evidence of that grace beginning back in the Garden of Eden when, when God um, uh, killed an animal to cover the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.21. That, that was grace because they did what they weren't supposed to do. They could have just been taken out of the picture, but he didn't do it that way. And, and so he, he, he made a way for them. It was a demonstration of the way that was going to be made for us in Christ. And that pattern of grace continues through the Old Testament when God initially institutes blood sacrifice as a means to atone for sinful men. But remember, that whole mess had to be going on all the time. Those of you that were with me earlier in the Bible Institute, you, you know when we saw that system set in place of the blood sacrifice, it was constant, it was ongoing, it was horrific, it was messy, it was painful, it was, you know, it was difficult and remind animals, but it was, it was a picture of how bad sin was and, and so that we never lose sight of that or take it for granted or it's not that big a deal. It is culminating in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus for us, fully God, fully man on the cross and that was all grace that, that made that happen. When Paul would write, we'll, we'll see this in the future, he starts with many of his letters, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so God is the instigator of grace, and it's from him that all other grace flows. So whenever we are grace-filled to the people around us, it's because God is filled with grace towards us. Um, Sometimes people kind of put mercy and grace in the same thing. They're, they're different. Mercy withholds a punishment that we do deserve, and grace really gives us blessings that we don't deserve. And so that's a, an amazing thing that, uh, that has happened. So, so not only in His mercy has he, has he made a way to cancel our sin by sacrificing His Son on our behalf, but grace goes even further than that and, and gives us forgiveness and reconciliation and an eternal blessing and treasure and His Holy Spirit, uh, a place in, in heaven with Him one day. And all of that comes from us coming into relationship with Christ. That All those bennies are grace. So you know, mercy makes a way back, and then grace extends it to these amazing, amazing things in the process. And there's nothing quite like it. There's nothing like relationship with Jesus. Um, I was gone last weekend. Some of you probably got, although I was here on the screen, so maybe you didn't miss me. But uh, my daughter was here, and she said she kept looking down and see if she kept, would swear I was standing in the pulpit. And then she'd go, oh, yeah, he's not here. Um, so that stuff works pretty good. But I was in a uh, church, a vineyard in Kansas City, and uh, they, they invited uh, Alice and I out there to, to uh, speak. A great church, if you're ever out there. It's a, it's a vineyard there. It's a lot. It, I, it was amazing to me. The, the pastor and I are very similar. It's a lot like this, only like five times bigger. So uh, it's a cool church, lots of stuff going on, and, and I was sharing with them, but I, I said to the group, and we, we talked about all kinds of stuff that we do here, outreach and stuff, do a lot of that, we talked about the hurricane, 
some. Um, but, but at the end, you know, I was able to say that it's all about people coming into relationship with Jesus. That's at the heart of it because there's nothing like that. There's, there's nothing else like that. That's, and that's at the heart of everything that we do. We come to Jesus, and then we want other people to know Jesus, not, not just because that's where life is, because there's nothing like it. There's, there's nothing like the, this life that we can have in Christ. It doesn't mean that there's not issues to deal with and that there's still not the, the hard stuff that happens. Like I, I'm hoping that you're all praying for what's going on up in the panhandle right now. And, and we are certainly praying, and I've been in touch with the people that I can to, to find out what we might do afterwards. We'll know more when we see what goes on there. But um, so in life, there's those things that, that happen because it's the planet's fallen because we chose sin. And so there's this mess that happens. But there's still nothing like this life. There's nothing that compares to it. This weekend, I'm going to be talking about joy. And, and there's, a, there's a joy. We'll define it so you don't confuse it with happiness. But there's a, a joy deep in our souls in this life that can't be found anywhere else. And, and so all of that is, is, makes it worthwhile. And it's all because of how God made it possible for us by His grace. I love this in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 12. People, he said, young men and women in the same way. Be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the crowd but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. It's a great passage about the grace of God and standing in it and what it means for us. Then he talks about truth in that passage we looked at, grace and truth in Christ. Truth is um, another concept that's gotten messed up culturally because people will say things like, well, if I believe it, it's true. Or, well, you can believe that and that's true for you, but this is true for me. The problem is that it can't be true. (laughs) If it's true, it has to be true for everybody. See, that's the thing about truth. And you have to look at it that way. Like gravity is true. And if you don't believe it, test it. And gravity is the same for all of us. It's a truth. So gravity is true. But a lot of people go, oh, I have a higher truth or I have a different truth or that's okay for you, that's your truth, but this is my truth. It's not. There's, there's truth and that's it. So truth, there's some things that truth is not. Truth is not simply whatever works. Um, pragmatist, that's what they feel. It's sort of an ends versus the means type approach. And it literally means... Uh, uh, See, because what people have come to is that they think that if they get the end result they want, it's okay to lie all they want. It's a, and unfortunately, our culture is just filled with that right now. So people are far more concerned about the end result than they are about being truthful or having integrity, and you see it everywhere. People will say things, and, and shockingly, there's a cycle that they know they just have to ride out, 
and then everybody forgets about it. But it's, it's everywhere. And you just like, you, truth is, you know, we, we just need to stick with the truth. But truth is not whatever works. So, and we have to be careful with this because we'll buy into some of those things ourselves. So we have to be careful. Um, truth is not simply what is coherent or understandable. So um, a group of people can get together and form a, a, uh, like a conspiracy based on a set of false, falsehoods when they all agree to tell the fa- same false story, but it doesn't make that true. So people can get together, and they're all going to get together on some facts that aren't true and present them as they are. That doesn't mean that it's true. There's still a real truth. Um, truth is not what makes people feel good. So, And you know that because, unfortunately, bad news can be true. But people get funny with this. Um, people is not what the majority say is true. Um, a majority of people can come to the wrong conclusion. Happens all the time. Uh, truth is not what is comprehensive either. So a very lengthy, detailed presentation can still result in a false conclusion. Happens all the time. And it's, uh, people can bombard you with facts that are slightly twisted to make them appear true, but they're not true. And, and it's hard to sometimes def- you know, determine what's going on. Uh, truth is not defined by what is intended. Good intentions can still be wrong. Uh, truth is not how we know. Truth is what we know. Truth is not simply what's believed, because a lie believed is still a lie. So the Greek word for truth is aletheia. I love this. It actually means unhide. Isn't that great? I love that. Aletheia means unhide or hide nothing. And it conveys the thought that truth is always there, always open, always available for everybody with nothing being hidden or obscured. And so uh, we have to understand. And Jesus says at some point, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is always in Christ. He is the truth. And um, there's a lot of stuff that sets itself up against that truth. And we have to be discerning what that is uh, always. But it can be discerned, particularly with the help of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so th- that's a lot. There's a lot on truth. There's a lot of good stuff that's been written about truth from a Christian perspective, which is the truth. Uh, but you have to read it and see it and, and how it portrays to God and the Bible and how it's all worked together. But... That's kind of the deal that's going on. Wow, I've got a lot of notes. What's left? <laughs> oh. John 3:16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Through him. So that's a big deal. I touched on this the other day. And, and let me touch on it again briefly. Because, and I, I, we've talked about it already. So until you come to know Christ, you are spiritually dead. We looked at that when we tied it back to Genesis in one of the last times I spoke with you. Um, when the fall took place, because in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve were warned that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. And we know that they didn't die. But what happened was they, they didn't physically die. They, they were spiritually disconnected at that point. So everything they had known in their relationship with God at that point changed. 
Now, now, that brings the necessity then of being spiritually born again, and it can't happen in the natural means. It has to be a supernatural thing, and it happens in Christ. And so when Jesus comes and gives himself as a sacrifice, that atones for our sin. He offers himself up perfectly, and, and uh, in so doing, it makes a way for us then to be reconciled to God. And we've talked about the ideas of being justified, that God then chooses to see us in the perfection of his son, and we're restored in relationship. Then the Holy Spirit comes, and we're being sanctified until the point when we're face-to-face with Jesus, when we'll be glorified. And, and so all this process happens there. But it begins with us being spiritually born, which takes place in Christ. And in John 3, you start seeing the, these things happening. The, the verse that I just read you in John 3, 16 and 17 comes from an encounter with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a, a, a Pharisee, part of the established religious community who went over and saw Jesus at night. I kind of like that. Um, so I've told you before, the Pharisees... They knew that Jesus, that's what really makes what they did sad, even sadder. They knew that this had to be a God thing. They just didn't like the package. So Nicodemus knew that what Jesus was doing had to, so he went and saw him at night because he didn't want everybody else to know. And he said, you know, I know that something's going on. What's going on? And Jesus looks at him and says, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. And, and Jesus said, basically, that's the issue. Uh, the, the, the way you've been going, they're just trying to do the right thing and in, in, in in following the law and becoming a rule follower isn't enough. You can't make it that way. You, you need to be born again, spiritually reborn. And, and he's discussing this whole process with him. And so God makes a way in those verses that I read. For God so loved the world. Remember, God loves everybody. We're all his creation. He wants to be in relationship with all people. He wants all people to become the children of God. So he makes a way that uh, he gives his son, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him, to make a way of salvation. And that's what's happening here, and that's what's presenting, uh, what John is presenting. And, and he, you know, the, the word he uses there for believe, it means it's a choice that we need to make. It's a personal choice that we need to make to come back into relationship with God. And so that's the process up to that point. And uh, that's enough. I can talk a long time, very quickly, but that's good. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Come and visit us when you can, unless you're in some far part of the world, then I get it. And uh, we'd love to see you. God bless you. Thanks for being a part.